Welcome to episode 6 of the podcast. Our guest today is one whom Scott and I have come to know and love over the recent years. Ken Smith is full of wisdom, passion, and has a huge heart for people. His insights into church life are profound and thought-provoking. He isn't afraid to say what he thinks. He currently works with Indigenous peoples through True North Aid, offering support and humanitarian aid. He inspires me to love others well. Can't wait for you to hear what he has to say. My name is Ariana, and this is the Active Listening Podcast. I'm here with Ken Smid. Uh, Ken and I have gone way back a few years. Uh, well, I, I'm curious. He'll probably tell you that himself. Um, but we've enjoyed connecting with him a bit more recently and his wife. Uh, fantastic people. Really great. Oh, I cannot wait for you to hear what he has to say. So, Ken, thanks for being with us. Yeah, good to be here, Scott. Oh, it's lots of fun. Yeah, t- tell me, how did you get saved? I'm curious. There's a little bit of a story there. Give us some uh, intro. Yeah, I mean, um, to make a long story short, Scott, um, I my spiritual journey really began in, uh, I grew up in a Dutch Reformed church, a great heritage there. Uh, I'd gone to college and invited to a Pentecostal church that was across the fence. I was afraid of anything Pentecostal, and I don't know why. I mean, I just thought they're scary people, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's weird, eh? Yeah. And you just... So uh, a friend in college had invited me uh, to this church and um, I, I went and I had never experienced just kind of the, the expression and worship that I did there. And I would go, you know, twice Sunday morning, sometimes Sunday night, Saturday night. And my roommates had all thought I'd gone mad, you know, <laughs> invited many of them out uh, to come with me, but they never come back. But the crazy thing is people would ask me in those services, are, are you saved? Huh. And I didn't know how to answer that question. I just said, well, well yes, of course. But yeah. deep down, I thought, I think I'm saved. You know, <laughs> I'm not quite sure. But um, fast forward a, a couple years, I was working north of Guelph and a friend at work invited me to his church. And the first question I said, is it Pentecostal? <laughs> uh, and he said, well, no, but it's close, you know. And uh, I said, oh, okay. So I, I gone to that church an amazing church, and uh, four weeks after uh, attending, this was in June of, of 2001, um, the senior pastor sat me down, and uh, an hour later, I said yes to Jesus. Oh, I remember that day like it was yesterday, actually. Watching and seeing that process live was just yes, oh, it was because incredible. that was your church. It was. And uh, interesting, the senior leader at the time was very adamant that when you say yes to Jesus, you've got to say, you got to tell somebody. Mm-hmm. And uh, your father was uh, fixing the chairs that morning. And so he called him over and said, Bill, Ken has something to tell you. And I was very nervous. And I told him, but I tell you something, Scott, something awoke on the, something awoke on the inside of me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was, I was saved. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I don't disregard my upbringing at all. Those hymns, meant all the more yes um, and so i met you because you were watching your dad one day um, rehearse or practice worship and i was leading the audio visual department i brought that church from the overhead to the projector on the ceiling uh-huh. <laughs> and and i didn't know what i was doing computers aren't really my thing and uh, i went over to you i don't know how old you were maybe 12 or 13 at the time yeah maybe. I said, hey, would you mind helping me? And of course you did. And 
the rest is history. You, yeah. took, you took over the ministry. and At least for a time. And we had a lot of fun. One of the things that uh, I was struck with you was just your passion. It was just all over your face. Whenever you were at church, whenever you were doing something, it was like, all, Ken, you don't go 99% in. You go 100% all in wherever you are, which is pretty cool. We might as well. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. So those were great days. Yeah. Uh, you know, attending that church and and I got baptized. Took me a took me a few months um, to, to do that, but I did. And uh, I think my family had thought I'd gone a little mad, but uh-huh. they they were all very supportive. Oh, that's and, great. Um, and then I ended up in Ottawa. Ottawa of all places. What drew, what drove you to Ottawa? Well, um, I had met Deb now and. Um, you know, I'd, I'd like to mention this, Scott, um, just to back up a bit. Oh, but, for sure. <laughs> you know, I led my mom to the Lord. Um, I led her about a year later. Um, we were going through some difficult times, and, and my brother had prayed with my father out in the barn to receive Christ. And and uh, my mom and I were inside, and we were all really struggling with everything that was going on in our family. And and uh, the next day, with Dad, um, we I led Mom in a prayer to receive Christ. But, you know, I came back to work here in Guelph, and I had always wondered that year, you know, did it really mean anything? Mm. Did, you know, it was just a prayer, uh-huh. you know. And I remember the following year, I had met Deb, my wife, at this time, and we were at home for my mom's birthday. And uh, the next day, where I was getting ready to leave, and she looked at me and she said, Hey, today's my birthday. And I said, what do you mean, Mom? Yesterday was your birthday. I'm a bit confused, you know. And she said, no, it was a year ago today that you led me to Jesus. And my life has never been the same. I tell you, those were the best words I have ever heard. Uh, To hear your mom. like It's like I helped give birth to my mom. That's crazy. No way. And of course, she's had some great people in her life since. uh, And uh, I love my mom. She's like a spiritual... Uh, leader now in our in our family uh, so she's great but um so anyway yeah yeah going to ottawa crazy time so so we ended up in ottawa uh the company i was working for in the dairy industry um had started a company the eastern division i had offered to um to lead that and they of course said that was great um and so just after i got married um we moved to ottawa we knew that the move to Ottawa was more than just a job. We we knew it in our hearts that God had something special for us, that there was some kind of ministry. Uh, it was interesting. It was a man from England had told us about a church plant uh, that was happening in Ottawa by an international evangelist. He had watched him on the TV. In fact, he had led one of his key Russian missionaries to Jesus on a bus in London, England, Anyway, so we finally found this uh, small church plant in uh, January of 2005. And uh, there was about 20 people. There was dust all over the chairs. And within 10 minutes, I looked at Deb and I said, I think we're home. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And those were fun years. Those first few years um, of of church planting in Ottawa. We had a lot of crazy things. You know, we never wanted to miss church because we were afraid we were going to miss something. You know, there was no real structure. It was just a bunch of people who loved God and uh, loved people. And we were, yeah, it was a lot of fun. 
Wow. So I'm, I'm curious, those first few years, I mean, everything's a little bit crazy. And I mean, you're kind of wired to do beginnings well. You, you're excited about, you know, blank slate, let's go for this thing, right? I'm curious, though, that after a couple of years, it sounds like that transitioned a little bit or it became more structured, perhaps. What, what was your perspective after a few years? Well, I mean, first of all, in the first couple of weeks, I think I was leading the ushers and greeters. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was instantly catapulted into leadership. Um, our pastor often told the story of the two young couples who arrived that Sunday. And, you know, they had had enough at that point. You know, is anybody going to come? And here we show up, you know, these young young people with lots of energy. And so um, I jumped in head first and both my wife and I, and we began to serve in whatever area we could. There was a lot to do. And, uh, but it was two years in, I was asked to come onto the pastoral team, um, as full-time pastor. Wow. So I literally went from working in the barn <laughs> as I was working in agriculture, uh, to going into the church, no experience. Were you excited about that, obviously? Or was it like, why is anyone asking me? Well, I'm curious what your emotions were for being prompted in a ministry just sort of haphazardly like that. Well, I mean, I think, you know, God had made it clear to to our senior leader that, that he had raised somebody up within the house to um, take this pastoral position. The associate had left, so they needed to fill it. And I guess I was just a, a natural candidate. Um you know, our, our senior leader saw the potential in people and, and did what he could to, you know, try to encourage that. So, so yeah, I, I went into full-time ministry. I, mean, I was scared. I was nervous. I, I was, you know, but I was told I didn't have to fill anybody's shoes. Mm. That I could wear my own shoes. And that was very important to me. Yeah. And was that, did that actually happen? Um, you know, I think so. Um, I mean, I had to... I had to figure out who I was um, and how to do ministry. But, you know, as the years go on, uh, church life gets to be very intense and you see the good, the bad and the ugly. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I never lost my passion. But um, so I, I was in full time ministry, pastoral ministry for seven years. Mm. And uh, and then I came back to Ottawa, believe it or not, and worked for a parachurch ministry for two more years. And now I've gone into um, secular humanitarian work. Yeah, uh, working with uh, with northern communities. So uh, yeah, they were very uh, they were great years. Yeah, um, it it sounds like there's a lot to unpack though in those years where you know you don't just move from ministry to a secular nonprofit organization just just because there's obviously a bit of a story there. I'd like to explore a bit with you if that's okay. Um, being a pastor, being a pastor, how was it? How was being a pastor? What were the good, the good moments in that? Scott, my favorite times were, you know, when a, a Muslim mom had come, her husband's not here and she needed help to find furniture, beds for her kids. I mean, I loved those moments, you know, get to furnish somebody's house. I did many, uh, their apartment. Um, you know, when somebody was, was dying of cancer to go to the hospital and to pray for them, I loved those moments. Um, I led a prayer clinic for, uh, six and a half of those, uh, seven years that I was in ministry or five and a half, I should say it was part of it altogether for eight, but 
So every Friday, uh, people would come in um, and we would pray for the sick, the broken, the hurting, the lost. Um, I often said Fridays felt more like church to me than even Sundays because mm-hmm. we were a, a family all working together to to minister um, the love of God to these precious people who came in. We had 12,000 visits Whoa. in eight years. Whoa, <laughs> that's know? a lot of visits. And I was kind of in charge of the ministry team. I, I led that ministry. And uh, but um, so that that was so much fun. And, you know, near the end, uh of those first, um, well, with the first church, uh, I was reading a book by Larry Stockstill after a conference one time, and a third of the way through the book, it said, stop reading until you've identified your spiritual sons. And I closed the book and I, I thought to myself, oh man, I, I lead a lot of people, but I can't say that I have any sons. Hmm. And I looked up and I said, God, would you give me some sons? And, uh, and I, it is as crazy, but within two weeks, um, three people were highlighted to me, three young guys, they were helping uh, me around the church and stuff. And within two months, I had seven young guys that I began to mentor and, and just be a father figure. I didn't lead any of them to the Lord. They, they, they were all saved, you know, but they had no one in their life to, challenge them, encourage them, uh, walk with them. And so I just began doing life with these young guys. And uh, we would go to Starbucks. And if I needed help to move somebody or furnish an apartment, I would bring them along and they would challenge me. I would, I would encourage them to challenge me and I would challenge them. And um, we had, we had some great times. Um, one young guy, I loved him to pieces, but he was heading down the wrong path. I actually slapped him in the face <laughs> just to, cause I didn't know how to get through to him. Anyway, he was shocked. I was shocked, but you know, it's what he needed hmm. to sort of break out of the, of, of the path that he was on. I, we had some great times. Um, and you know, in the years after when I left Ottawa, I think five of them had all gotten married and I was invited back. Uh, to their wedding. I, I officiated a number of them. Um, and it was, it was so interesting to me. I saw very few people from the church there. I was oh. one of the, the few that had come back. So obviously I had an impact in their, in their life. Yeah. And I mean, those were those precious uh, times. Hmm. Um, but uh, I mentioned this to you earlier every so often there was a gentleman in our church that did prison ministry. And mm-hmm. so when it was time for the baptisms, he would always encourage me to come. In fact, he didn't encourage me. He told me I had to, <laughs> you know, so we would go to the prison and, uh, we had all these guys in orange jumpsuits who had gotten saved in the alpha program. And, and we, the pastor of the prison would bring in this laundry tub full of water. You know, we had to, dunk these guys, you know, no full way. immersion baptism in this laundry tub, you know, they'd, they'd curl up in a little bowl, you know, and, uh, but those were some of the most precious moments pastoring. To me, it was like getting back to the basics, you know, mm-hmm. um, it was all the meetings after meetings, after meetings. I think I had been in over 600, maybe closer to 700 meetings in this in the nine years I served in Ottawa that's a lot that's a lot and I mean were those meetings all bad I'm not I mean there was probably a fair amount of excitement and activity there I'm curious yeah what what 
what was your perspective? You you sound a little bit like those meetings were a bit of a drain on you. Yeah, I think they were a drain on all of us. Um, you know, it was like we were living from conference to conference, from event to event, and from Sunday to Sunday. Um, I remember well along in those years, I'd, I always tried to, you know, be the be at the front when the service would start and posture myself for worship, you know, be the good looking pastor there. And, and, uh, I remember one Sunday thinking to myself, what am I doing? Hmm. Just going through the motions here. Um, and I really began to assess, you know, what, what was important. Um, because like I just mentioned, I, I loved those, um, you know, those basic tenets of Christianity, serving the poor and, you know, baptizing, you know, these guys in orange jumpsuits and, uh, you know, these inmates and um, mentoring, pouring into these young guys. Um, So, yeah, I guess certainly church ministry did become a drain. My big revelation actually happened at the prison. Um, It was in uh, the spring of 2013, I was there for one of the baptisms, excited to be there, of course. And uh, there was a gentleman who had been part of a pastoral team of a large church in the city. He was the, or had been the principal of a a large Christian school. And uh, he was telling me that he was now in the insurance industry. And so I was surprised and I looked at him and I said, why did you leave ministry and go into secular work? Mm -hmm. And he said, well, because I got burnt out. And I said to him, what do you mean you got burnt out? What, like, what does that look like? What are the symptoms of burnout? And as he began to describe those things to me, um, my eyes began to well up and he looks at me and he says, you're one of them, (laughs) you know, you're burning out or you're burnt out. And, uh, and I was shocked at my own reaction to, to, you know, what he was saying. And I realized that I was on a path um, you know, to a very dangerous place. So what did that path look like at the time? And, and was that a surprise to you at the time? Well, <laughs> at that time, our church had changed leadership. It changed names. It changed everything. And, and um, you know, the, the new guy that was leading us, um, he didn't, he was much younger. He didn't sort of have the wisdom to be able to um, ensure that his staff were only doing what they were supposed to be doing, you know, um, our senior leader before he, he, you know, he would very clearly say to me, "Can you look? You you can do this, this, and this, but you can't do this, this, mm. and this. You're going to burn yourself out." So he understood. Uh, but um, this, the other guy I was serving, he, I mean, if I could do it, he let me do it. So I got at that point, I was doing all most of the weddings, I was doing the funerals, I was looking after the prayer clinic. I was hosting the services. I was preaching when needed. I was doing basic pastoral care, like furnishing apartments and moving. If you're a pastor, you're also a a mover, a part-time mover. Um, You know, house visits, um, crisis calls, uh, church maintenance, cleaning, volunteer management, and... um, and you finally and, reno- you and were- renovations. <laughs> we were doing some major renovations around the church that I was doing. And you weren't sure after. that you were experiencing burnout at this time. <laughs> well, you know, one of the the signs or symptoms of burnout is mm. um, is when you're with your family, you're physically present, but you're not present. You're actually somewhere else, and that was happening to me. I, 
I remember my daughter looking up at me and, and saying, Daddy, come play with me. Daddy, won't you come play with me? And I remember thinking to myself, I, I want to, but I can't. I just can't. Like, I, I can, but I can't. I, I got down on the floor. I, I, I did what I could, but my, my, I was physically present, but I, I wasn't present. You know, that, that is the major sign of burnout. Um, and so that year, that summer, I had gone away for three weeks. The first time in my life I'd ever taken a three-week holiday. And uh, I not once did I think about leaving um, Ottawa, leaving ministry. Never crossed my mind. But I did know I needed to make some major changes. And Deb and I had a lot of conversations about that and what we should do. When I got back to Ottawa, feeling quite refreshed, I hadn't felt that way in a long time, it was almost like I could now think and hear clearly, and I just heard what I felt the Lord say, I'm calling you out of Ottawa. That must have been quite a, uh, I mean, you'd been there for many years then. since like I'd been there for eight and a half at that point. So to just move out is you're losing your ministry you're moving away from the people that you cared about yeah did you have any sense of where you were to go after that or no (laughs) (laughs) this you know agriculture you know dairy company that i spoke about earlier they they actually were kind enough to take me back Uh, they needed somebody that could fulfill a position that i was well trained and qualified to do it so um i guess you know at, at that point I felt that I needed to do what was important to my family. And my wife had longed to be back home with her family here in Kitchener. And, um, you know, she never really embraced Ottawa like I did. Um, I loved Ottawa and, uh, and I loved ministry and I loved all the things I did, you know, um, love the people. Um, Deb, Deb loved the people, but she just didn't connect. Um, it was a very difficult years for her. And I felt, look, I'm on a collision course with burnout. Um, I need to make a change for the sake of my family. And so we moved back to, um, to Kitchener uh, so that she could be here. And, uh, you know, I, I then would, wa- I wandered for the next, uh, well, 2014, 2015, and 2016. Um, no, two years, I, I didn't really have a church. And, and how did that feel? Like for those years, was it a good wandering or was it a, you know, questioning of, I'm sure there's, there's a fair amount of reflection on your years in Ottawa about what you were up to, what you were doing, you know, was it worth it? Yeah. I mean, I was afraid, I was afraid to, to overcommit myself again. I was afraid to get back on that path. Um, um, I began to question a, a lot of things and, um, you know, I think, like I mentioned earlier, those early days were so much fun, but we sort of went from being church to doing church. Mm. And, you know, we, we tried so hard and as hard as we try, it was like people would just sort of go through your fingers, you know, like sand through your fingers. Um, you know, we always said it was great when new people came, but, you know, it seemed to feel sometimes that more people were going out the back door than coming in the front door. Although we were growing, um, you know, you'd pour your life into, into individuals and walk with, with families and, 
And then because they have an issue with the church, they would get up and leave. And usually it was because they had an issue with the senior leader or they didn't like the worship or it was too loud or they hated the offering message. You know, I was the guy Hmm. I call, I was the church dump. (laughs) Somebody had a problem with the church. They took me to Tim Hortons. Uh (laughs) We want to have a nice visit with you, pastor. (laughs) And did you enjoy that or is that a little bit of a... Well, I know they were going to, you know, they wanted to, you know, rail on the church and I I was the best one. Mm -hmm. And so I I tended to get a lot of the flack, you know, because the senior leaders weren't always that approachable, you know, weren't always... And and rightly so, they had a lot on their plate, you know, I I was in charge of pastoral care, so... But... um, yeah, and we we got to this to a place as a church where we had, were a two-headed monster for a while. Um, that was thankfully expedited. Uh, we were in a transition period, and it was supposed to be five years. It ended up being two and a half years, and uh, we were all very thankful for that because um, it's very difficult to be in a church where there's there's two leaders leading simultaneously. Sometimes it's necessary, um, but it's not easy. Anyway. Um, and so, yeah, I just, uh, is, yeah, those were interesting years. Now, reflecting back and I mean, here you are, you're doing all of this. Uh, I mean, your list before burnout was incredible. You're doing so much, right? And then you reflect back on what you actually accomplished. Did you, did you regret the years that you served? Did you, the years that you put in the, you know, all the visits, all the renovations, all the services, you know, Scott, I've I've taken inventory of my 11 years in total in Ottawa, all of those in ministry, um, nine years full-time ministry, and, and, and I've asked myself that question, you know. And I can honestly say I don't regret a cent given. I don't resent, uh, resent uh, a minute given. Um, you know, all that we gave, absolutely not. But, you know, when it's all done after 11 years... Um, you know, the one church I had served for seven years doesn't exist anymore. Uh, the second church that I served, um, that church transitioned. Um, it's a completely different group of people today. Looks completely different. And the third paraministry that I served continues to sit empty. Um, now, did I have an impact? Well, it's hard to quantify that, um, I'm thankful for those that reach back and, and, and connect with me and say, because of something I said or something I spoke or a prayer that I prayed impacted their life. I mean, those are special, special moments, but it is very difficult to quantify um, the investment that, and that's just me, let alone the hundreds and hundreds of others who, who, who gave so much um, to, to see this you know, place grow, Hmm. you know? Um, So no, I don't, I don't, I don't regret it, but I've, I've come to the, to the revelation that, you know, church worldwide, but let's just look at North America isn't working. And we're trying to serve the organization. And I, I find myself all the time, especially working with indigenous peoples, um, I've got to apologize to them. Um, I say, I am so sorry for what the church has done to you. I am so, so sorry. 
I was with a couple back last summer and uh, this couple, they're, they're not Christian. Um, we were at a booth at a community in Eastern Ontario and uh, we were at a, at a local festival and uh, the lady from the church across the road had come across the street and she was asking us what we were doing. And so we told her we we're serving indigenous peoples and she looked at us and she said, well, they've made their bed. They can sleep in it. And her shirt had a big Jesus's love or something. You know, that was what her shirt said. And then she walked away and went back to her church. I couldn't believe that somebody representing a church just said that. And I looked at my friends and I said, I am so, so sorry. I now know why you don't go to church. <laughs> so I walked across the street. I found the pastor. I, I, I told him what happened. He wanted to know who it was. And I said, no, you don't need to know who it was, but you've got some work to do. Um, because that's wrong. And if this is how we're representing Christ, because I believe with all of my heart, Scott, you need to know this. this the church is the hope of the world. Mm. We are God's plan for humanity. <laughs> this is what I believe. Mm. You know, there's a quote that I've kept with me for many years. It was by Oswald Chambers, and it says this. The main thing about Christianity is not the work we do, but the relationships we maintain and the atmosphere produced by those relationships. That is the one thing that God's asking of us, and yet the thing that is continually assailed or assaulted. And it's absolutely true. There's another quote that I, I keep with me in my Bible, and it says, Obedience alone is good, but not good enough. It must be obedience as a product of trust or obedience inspired by love. Here's the, the clincher. If obedience lacks the fire of relationship, then it is lifeless and of comparatively little value. Wow. I came to realize that I was very obedient. Um, I often said my strength is my responsibility. My weakness is my responsibility. You know, if something needed to be done, I did it, you know. Everything from straightening chairs to, you know, fixing this, fixing that, cleaning up. I remember one gentleman who I love so much, he, he passed and I walked with him and his family um, through, through those days. And it was his funeral and there were coffee stains all over the church carpet. And I spent four hours by myself on my hands and knees scrubbing these, these, uh, these stains on the carpet because I wanted to honor him. I loved him so much. I just think it was undeserving of him to have his funeral in a church with coffee stains all over the carpet. <laughs> you know? You know, I did those I did things like that. I just, but when it's all said and done, you take it away. Mm -hmm. What do I have left? Mm -hmm. It's the people. And to this day, I keep in touch with dozens, if not well over a hundred people in, in the city of Ottawa, who I love and care for to this day, I miss them. Um, I wish I was with them. Um, it was the organization that brought us all together, and I thank God for that. Um, many of them don't even go to church today. They're not even there. It's crazy. Um, you know, I looked at my Bibles here. I got these pastoral lists still, you know, of people, you know, that I needed to look after and care for, look at them all. But, you know, at the end of the day, if the church disappears, the churches we know it, Will anybody notice? 
That's a crazy question. Our, our senior pastor would often ask that question. If the church disappeared, would anybody notice? That is a tough question. Man. Oh, Ken, this is so good. I love your perspective on the church. I'm curious uh, a little bit. You know, you, you're still at church. You're still part of an institution. You're still also connected to people. Um, I'm curious, like, with that revelation, where do you go from here for you? Well, well you know, Scott, um, I had met you uh, years ago, as we mentioned. Um, somebody had sent me a blog um, that you had written. And uh, I don't know when I received that, but I received it at a time when I was in the wilderness. I had gone over three years without a church home. And uh, I finally, after a year, a year after receiving this, I read it and I was shocked. It was, it was a very strong indictment against the church. Um, but um, so we went and we met, and we, we got talking and uh, I loved your perspective. Um, one thing I love, I love to debate and to wrestle and to try to figure these things out. Um, I, 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 nothing I enjoy more than a really good conversation. And I especially love being with people I disagree with um, mm. because I want to see um, every perspective. Um, I believe there are two sides to every story. Mm -hmm. I believe you get put 10 people in a circle, you're going to have 10 different perspectives. I love that. Mm. I think that's the, an attribute of the Lord. I mean, he created the world. We've got desert, we've got rainforests, we've got mountains, we've got valleys, we've got prairies, we've got lakes and rivers. You know what I mean? Like God is a creative God, but he's a God of variety. And I find sometimes in the church that we're sort of all having to think the same way and and look the same way. And so to be able to unpack that and celebrate what makes us different, I believe unity is found in the celebration of that which makes us different and unique. I honestly believe that. Mm. Um, and the moment we can begin to recognize that there are people all around us who think di differently than we do, respond differently than we do. So anyway, so having read that blog of yours, I thought, whoa, I need to meet with this guy again. It's been so long. And, and we did. But what created a curiosity in me was why you were still attending church. You know, how can it be? And really, that's the revelation I've come to. I, I need the community. Mm -hmm. I need the people. I, I need to have a connection point each and every week. Um, and so this is why I've... I've jumped back in and uh, yeah. Jumping back in this time around, is there, like you're probably thinking of your previous time in Ottawa and now jumping back in, is there anything you do differently or perhaps caution yourself against or be aware of? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm careful. Um, what I don't want to do is put myself back in what I call the ministry bubble. And you know what? There are a lot of bubbles out there. We all have our bubble. Um, my bubble is significantly larger today 
than it ever was in ministry. Um, I'm absolutely loving the fact that in the work that I do, that I get to meet with people all over the country um, from all walks of life um, in a way that I didn't in ministry. You know what I mean? And so I, I don't want to, I don't want to get back into the bubble. Um, I want to be able to have one foot in and one foot out. I want to be able to see outside and I want to be able to see inside, you know, and, uh, um, and I would encourage anybody that's involved in anything to, you know, to make sure you're, you don't confine your life, you know, to one specific group of people. You know, as a leader in Ottawa, I, I did something bold. I would secretly encourage my people or the people that attended. I would say, you know what, every six to eight weeks, you should go somewhere completely different. Go to a Catholic church, go to a United church, go to an Anglican church, go to, go to a Jehovah Witness, <laughs> like wherever um, because number one, you, you appreciate home. Mm-hmm. Number two, you get a revelation and your kids will get a revelation that there are different expressions and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And that's important. Um, and so I encourage people, you know, to make sure you, you branch out and you check and then you can come back, you know? Yeah. So I, I guess I do have a, a very different perspective today. Um, and I, you, you had mentioned to me uh, a while back that what drives you a bit more these days is the people that have slipped through the fingers, the people that, you know, maybe didn't quite make it through the system or they left. Like I know you had mentioned in Ottawa, the people that would leave were the ones that were on your mind that you had a heart for. Is that something that um, obviously you still carry many of those people in your heart today? Is that something that you... I'm curious where you're at with that. I know that church of anywhere has people going out the back door. Yeah. And it doesn't matter wherever you go, it's there. Um, and I, it still bothers me. I can't, I can't shake it. Um, but, um, in my revelation came a number of years ago, there was an individual who I was very good friends with. Um, he probably has done more for me spiritually than anybody else. And I disagree with him all the time. Um, but he was an intellect, um, and he found our services very boring. Um, he, I would often catch him sleeping. Um, <laughs> you know? But anyway, he, he became a bit of a rebel rouser, and uh, he was saying some stuff that maybe he shouldn't have been, just trying to stir people up. And <laughs> Anyway, long story short, he got kicked out hmm. one Sunday, and the senior leader came to me right away because he knew I was friends, and he's like, you know, I, I had to kick so-and-so out, and, and this is why. And I said, well, good, you needed to. He needed to go. <laughs> he shouldn't have been there. He's a rebel rouser. And uh, of course, I went and visited with him promptly after, you know, and it's all it's all good. And uh, so and he knew it was coming. And and I disagree with with what he did and how he did it. But um, but the, it didn't change the fact I really love this man. And, and what I loved about him was, is he took an active interest in my life. Mm. And he still does to this day. It is very difficult to find people, Scott that will come up to you and say, how are you doing? How is your family? How's your wife? How's your brother? How's your brother's wife? Hmm. You know, and remembers the stories that I've, I've told them. Like, how's your walk with God? What's going on? What's, where are you at? You know, where are you, where are you at with your Bible reading? And, um, 
And I've referred to him from time to time as a self-righteous jerk. And, and I tell him, and I think his wife thinks the same from time <laughs> to time, you know. But I need him in my life hmm. because he challenges me, number one. And number two, he takes an active interest in the other people that are involved in my life. You don't get that very often. That is a very unique quality found in, in, in people. And... Um, and so with this individual, I wasn't about to let him go. And I, I came to realize that my friendship with people should never be based on their association with an organization or an institution. Hmm. And so I maintain relationships with a lot of people who left for a multitude of reasons, by the way, because... I loved these people and I still love these people and I want to be in their life and, and they want to be in mine. Um, so, and I thought the church doesn't accommodate that all that well. There's not a real great place for that to happen or for that to be encouraged. And it makes sense, right? We don't want to encourage people to just leave or to just, you know, if you have a disagreement, just run away. I guess on one hand, we do want to encourage that because it's a little bit safer. But on the other hand, it's not really necessarily creates healthiness for people. Um, if you if you had something to say to the institution at large, because we know like both of us have traveled. Uh, we travel across North America, sometimes the world. This isn't just a local issue. This isn't just a you know, our church or, you know, churches around us, it's all over the place. I'm curious, what, what would you say to the local church in general about this? What, what have you learned that you'd like to pass on? Um, I, I think we've got to recognize that everybody that comes into our circles have something to give. And I think the church at large has um, been unable to make place and to make space for um, for different perspectives, um, for different talent, and, and it's different. How do you accommodate everybody, right? Like, I mean, it's, you can't. I mean, you know, you're setting yourself up. But um, I, I believe that that everybody that comes into our circle has something to give and we've got to do everything we can to pull the treasure out of that individual and help them find their place. Not, not make them conform to our programming uh, or to our structure or to the way we do things, but allow your church to grow in a way organically um, understanding that the people who are in your circle are the parts of the body that are there. And we need to find out how, how to put them into place. I and mean, we could unpack that. We could go on for hours, but, um, and, and number one, number two is we need to be so very careful that people's, Value is never found in what they can give, but in who they are as individuals. And we've got to find a better way to restore and to, um, and to value. You know, there's one individual, he, we were leaders together 
and he continued on with the church I was involved with for a number of years, he got to the place where he was totally burnt out, like medically dangerous, you know, and uh, he was forced to take paternity leave just as a way to get some kind of reprieve. And there was compensation, of course, through the government because um, the church didn't pay him anything. He had served this ministry for 10 years. He thought he was part of something big. He thought he was a partner. Um, but not one mention as far as I know, was made about him and his leaving publicly. This individual, who's a very dear friend of mine today, was never acknowledged publicly. And that continues to make my blood boil. Mm-hmm. I've challenged the senior leader on it. Um, I've told him that this is, this is unacceptable and he, he needs to do something. But and this is now a number of years have passed. But I just thought, how could... A beloved pastor who had given so much um, received no recognition, no in any way compensation for his his investment into the building of this ministry. Like it just was absolutely shocking to me. And you see this over and over and over again. You know, the Bible says, Scott, grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is to receive that gift you don't deserve, right? While we were sinners, Jesus died for you and I. You know, you know that's the amazing thing about the gospel. Mm-hmm. God picked us up, dusted us off. He, he called us into his own despite our rebellion, despite all our ugliness. And, and I think in the same grace that God measures out to us is the same grace we need to measure back out to those uh, around us, those in our circles, those who have left our circles, you know. Um, and, and I have seen that model, but by and large, you don't see that modeled all that well in the church. And uh, I guess I have, I'm very strong pastorally, you know, so people really matter to me. And, yeah. uh, and I just, I don't know, Scott, I just, uh, I get, I get frustrated when I see the carnage that seems to come out of the, of the organized church, whether it be Catholic, Anglican, you know, whatever denomination it might be. Yeah. Um, but I continue to hear of friends in, in Ottawa in particular who have left and, and don't want anything to do with church anymore. They feel they've, they've drank the Kool-Aid and they, you know, they've, and I'm just like, oh, this has to stop. Mm-hmm. And so what does that look like? I don't know. Um, I just believe that we're in a new day. And sometimes you've got to dismantle what's been built so it can be rebuilt. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's just easier. I'm trying to come up with a plan for housing in the North, you know? And, and a friend of mine said to me the other day, Ken, you know, Ken, it's just easier to tear them down and re- and rebuild these homes, you know? And I'm like, well, can't we re- renovate, you know? You know, it is much easier sometimes just to bulldoze it down and rebuild it. I'm not, it's not what I'm saying needs to happen, but um, I believe the church is the hope of the world. Yeah, I'm a proponent of the church. I, I want to see it work. 
And I want society to recognize if it happens to be missing. So we're in this together. What does that look like? I don't know, but I'm on a journey. Mm -hmm. I believe you're on a journey. I think we all need to be on a journey. And that means having some hard conversations. And that's why I accepted this visit with you. Oh, Ken, it's, it's been fun to chat. I, I have a feeling we have a bit more to chat about sometime in the future, but I love your optimism. Even after everything you've done, you still have hope. And I think that's what marks Christians is that we have hope. We have hope even when it's like, yeah, I'm not sure this is going to work. There's hope because I think God's up to something. I wish I knew what it was, clearly. And I bet so do you. It, it sometimes would be great to have clarity, you know, a few years down the road of what does this look like? But I think that's what God's calling us to, right? It's jumping out in faith. Sometimes it's difficult. Um, I, I'm extremely proud of you for going on the journey. It's not easy, but it's fun. And there's people along the way. That's the fun part. Uh, so it's been fun to be in relationship with you. Ken, thanks so much for coming. It's good to be here. Thank you, Scott. And we'll chat more soon. Uh, For everyone else, we have a couple of podcast episodes coming up. uh, A few more, so stay tuned. And uh, have a great week. What an incredible chat with Ken Smith. I don't know about you, but Ken's enthusiasm has encouraged me and makes me want to affect change in people's lives too. Loving others is what being the church is all about. If you'd like to hear more about his work with True North Aid, visit truenorthaid.ca. Thanks for listening.